violent type of storm on Earth. Each individual tornado is a violent local vortex in the atmosphere. The tornado's parent is a thundercloud, and the vortex suddenly descends to rotate wildly along the Earth in an upward spiraling motion. And it is the responsibility of the United States Weather Bureau to provide the public with information regarding tornadoes. Awesome. What an awesome video that was. <laughs> hey, it's all good. Awesome. Well, welcome to Everlap, everyone. My name is Shafin, and um, I'm the lead pastor here, along with my phenomenal wife, Jess. By the way, um, Dan Pinelli worked tirelessly today after the baptisms, and he was working right up until the last minute to edit this video, this epic video. I saw it myself, but there was just some issues exporting right to the last minute, so it was the best video you've almost watched in your whole entire life. So can we please give Dan Pinelli and the production team a big round of applause? So good. The production team are absolute heroes. They just slog it out week after week. They get here a lot, 1.30 p.m., just for you and just for myself. And so we're so, so grateful for them. Um, well, we have got a few people who are here with us for the first time tonight. And, um, and we would just love to embarrass you one more time. Um, so if you are here for the first time, can you please be bold and courageous and put up your hand nice and high so we know who you are. Let's welcome them again. So good. Awesome. We also have um, my wife, Jess, her brother here, Joel Beatty and Rebecca Beatty. So give them a big round of applause. They're just going <laughs> to... He didn't like that, but it's all right. Love you, Joel. It's awesome. And uh, we've got some people visiting from Albany as well. But um, right now I'm going to be sharing us the message. And it is the first of the series called An Inconvenient Truth. An Inconvenient Truth. See, there are a lot of things in life, some inconvenient truths that we face every single day. I don't know if you've experienced this when you're faced with the inconvenient truth of when you sit down in a toilet cubicle in the public toilet and you realize there's no toilet paper there. Um, I don't know how you've got out of that one before, but we can um, hear your creative solutions later on. Or maybe the inconvenient truths that you face when you're driving in your car somewhere and all of a sudden the fuel gauge is empty. It's red, it's telling you that your fuel gauge is empty and you don't know where the nearest fuel station is. It's a truth that is very, very inconvenient to you and you're going to rock up late, whatever it might be. Also, there's the inconvenient truths um, from the eastern parts of Australia where, and in a very sobering way, they were told of the truth that a fire was coming and they needed to make the preparations in order to get out of their homes in time, in order to defend their properties. Um, there's a lot of truths in life that can be very inconvenient to us, but nonetheless, they're the kind of truths that we need to hear. Um, also, I remember I was headed, headed down to Mandra for a youth camp um, about a year and a half ago. And on the way to this youth camp, um, I realized that I'd missed my turn off and I'd been driving a long, long way past uh, the place that I intended to go. And when I realized this, it was unbelievably inconvenient, but I'm so glad I did the U-turn and I headed to that camp anyway because it was at that camp that I met a person who was able to introduce me to Jaden Hall. And Jaden Hall is currently the youth pastor here at uh, Everlife Church and they're doing a phenomenal job with the youth there. And uh, last Saturday, he got engaged to Ash Smith, which is absolutely awesome. So I can tell you, every 
good thing in your life, Jaden and Ash, from this point on, is um, all credit to me because I did that U-turn. I did that U-turn. I faced the inconvenient truth and I went there anyway, so thank you. That's awesome. Also, there's a documentary called An Inconvenient Truth. I think it came out in 2006 and it was put together by the vice, former vice president of the United States, Al Gore, and his whole premise was that the world is going to catastrophically end if we don't do take some drastic measures right now to reduce carbon emissions, etc., etc. And the premise of the movie is this is a truth that you need to wrap your head around and it doesn't matter how inconvenient it is, you need to take some action. Um, and so I'm not sure how many of his predictions have come true up until this point, but we'll see how it goes in the following years. But the, the, the point is this, that there's many truths in life and especially in the Bible that are inconvenient and uncomfortable for us to listen to. We like to avoid these things. We like to be avoiding being confronted with some of these things. But tonight, we're going to be having a look at an inconvenient truth when it comes to the afterlife. What happens in the next life? We're living this life, but what happens in the afterlife or in the next life? And um, in order to introduce this thought, this topic, I'm going to show a scene from Chicken Run. And so, um, just to introduce you to you, this, um, who's seen Chicken Rum, by the way, I've put it in your hand. It's a movie released in the year 2000, it's a, it's a great movie, and it depicts the way that we like to avoid hearing the truth when it's not nice to digest. And the context here is that there's chickens on a farm, these chickens on a farm have been fattened up, ready to be made into chicken pie. And Ginger, one of the chickens, she is like trying to warn these chickens, get out, they're fattening you up for chicken pie. And then there's a lone free-range rooster um, who's got some different ideas. So turn your eyes to the screens. Can't you see that? 
Strange foxes arrive in the barn. Bab stops laying, but they don't take it to the chop. And now they're giving us extra food. Don't you see what's happening? They're fattening us up. They're going to kill us all. Whoa, whoa. Heavy alert. <laughs> she didn't mean that, girl. You mother. Keep eating. Save some for me. What are you doing? How dare you? Let go of me. Listen, I've met some hard-boiled eggs in my day, but I'd say you're about... 20 minutes. And what's that supposed to mean? It means you gotta lighten up. You see, over in America, we have this rule. If you want to motivate someone, don't mention death. <laughs> Funny. Over here, the rule is always tell the truth. Oh, hey, that's been working like a real charm, hasn't it? Here's some free advice. You want them to perform? Tell them what they want to hear. You mean lie. <sighs> here we go again. You know what your problem is? You're difficult. Why? Because I'm honest. I care about what happens to them. Something I wouldn't expect a laundry ranger to know anything about. Hey, this is the way you show it. I hope you never care about me. I can assure you I never will. Good. Fine. If you want to watch the rest of the movie, it's a great movie to watch. Very, very funny. Um, but here is a scene where Ginger wants to confront the reality of the situation with the chickens. But here the lone free ranger... He's saying, don't tell them the truth. Tell them what they want to hear. And isn't that right? Sometimes we just want to hear what makes us feel good. We don't like to be confronted with inconvenient truths. But she said, I've got to tell them the truth because I love them. And you know, the truth is that the Bible is full of inconvenient truths. And God loves us so much. He wants us to be confronted with sometimes inconvenient truths, which we're going to be having a look at um, over the next few weeks. And so... For me, as a pastor, you know, I love every single one of you. I haven't met some of you and um, those that are watching and listening online. But most importantly, God loves you, which is why for me, for us, it's our responsibility to prepare us for the most important thing, and that is to prepare us for eternity. And we want to love this life. We want to make the most of this life. But the, the most important preparation that we can make in our life isn't necessarily study or to get a job or to prepare for retirement, but to prepare for eternity. And so tonight we're going to be starting off with one verse. It's from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It's a very simple verse, and this is what it says. It says, each man or each human, each person, each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. Each person, each man is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. It's very, very simple. All of us have one life to live, one chance, we've got one shot at this, and after that, every single person will face judgment by God. It's not a comfortable truth for us to talk about. Um, but the truth is that the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of what we call the good news, is most clearly seen when it's set against a black backdrop, against the reality of the truth. And um, I don't know if many of you grew up with glow-in-the-dark stickers. You know those glow-in-the-dark stickers, the stars that you can paste on your roof? Did someone have those growing up? I had a whole lot of those that stick into my roof. And you couldn't see them during the day, but when you turn the light off at night, it's like, ah, oh, there they are. And it's a little bit like the stars. If you walk out during the day and you look up at the big blue sky, when you look up, you can't actually see the stars with your eyes. It doesn't mean that they're not there. They are there. But it's only at night time, especially when you go out into the countryside, when it's 
pitch darkness, when you look up at the sky, you can see, wow, the full beauty of the constellations of the stars come out when it's set against the black backdrop of the black sky. And, and that's what we want to do tonight. We want to be sober-minded. I want to reveal to you the black backdrop, the scary, in a sense, reality of the truth, and then allow the true beauty of the good news of what Jesus has done for us to come out in all its fullness. And, um, and it all begins with a cry for justice. You see, right now cl- across the world, there is a deep cry for justice. I mean, if we look at Facebook, if we look at the news, if we see the things that are going on around the world, there's a huge cry for justice. The things that we see people going through in our own country, in our own state, when we see things like, like murders and, and injustice and people being treated unfairly, when we experience this ourselves or we see our loved ones going through things that are just not fair, all of humanity is, is crying out for justice. God, why don't you put things right? Why don't you make things right? And the good news is that one day Jesus will come to put things right. Finally, Jesus will come to put things right, to put things in the way that they are meant to do. And so Revelations talks about this moment when Jesus will judge the earth. It's a very confronting scripture. It's from Revelations chapter 20, verse 11. And this book, the book of Revelations, is actually a book that was written by John, who was a follower of Jesus. And he was on the island called Patmos, where he had a vision that God gave him. And he had a vision. It was revealed to him, which is why it's called Revelations. It was revealed to him what would happen in the end times, about the time when Jesus would finally come. And then this is what he saw. He said, I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both the great and the small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. And then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire, This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found, recorded in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. And so here we go. The sober reality is that every single person who ever has lived, every single person who's living now, and every single person who will live until that moment, will all be brought to the great equalizer and stand before Jesus, who will judge us according to what we have done. All of us will be brought before him, both the great and the small, both the rich and the poor, the famous and the obscure, the Hollywood stars, the movie stars, the AFL players, the homeless, um, your flatmate, you and I will all be standing there before Jesus at the end of time. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14, it says that God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, says we all must stand before Christ to be judged. We will all each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. And then Romans chapter 12, verse 6, God will repay each person according to what they have done. 
this is like this is a bit heavy. This is this is um, what Rocky, the free-range rooster, was talking about. <laughs> Let's, they actually had a party afterwards to try and distract themselves from the reality. It's something that we do in the world, isn't it? We, we try to distract ourselves often from these inconvenient truths. If we can just be entertained, there's actually a saying that um, people entertain themselves all the way to hell. It's a, it's a very confronting statement, but entertainment can distract us from being confronted with these sober truths. And so Romans chapter 3 says that all of humanity has fallen short of God's glory. We all stand before God guilty. On that day when we come face to face with Jesus, it says that not one single person will be able to stand upright according to their own goodness. And many people might say, well, well, well hold on, hold on. I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I haven't killed anyone. I haven't robbed any banks recently. Anyone here robbed any banks recently? No, hope not. I'm not as bad as Hitler. I'm not as bad as those terrorists. I'm not as bad as my next door neighbor or my wife or my husband. Um, I'm a good person, generally. But the thing is, when we say that we're comparing one another to a standard of hu- that humanity has set for each other, but God's standard is perfection. So God's standard is perfect love. God says that the, all the commandments are summed up in this one word, love. It says, Jesus says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if we're honest, all of us can say that we have not loved our neighbor perfectly. We haven't loved God with all of our heart. And Jesus set the standard. He said that if we so much as look with a woman with lust in our eye, we've committed adultery with her in our heart. Jesus sets the standard. He says, if we've stolen anything, even a paperclip, then we are a thief and we are guilty. It says that any person or the people who practice these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And James says that when we've broken one of these laws, we've broken them all. We might say, well, I haven't done that. I have done this, but I haven't done that. Well, the truth is that James says when we break one commandment, we actually break them all because all of the commands point back to the main one, which is love. Love God and love one another. And so we stand guilty before God. And so what is the consequence for humanity? Don't worry, we're going to get to the good part soon. So what is, what is the consequence for humanity? Now, this is something I don't want to talk about. If I want to be invited to be a guest speaker somewhere and put on the posters and the screens and, yeah, Pastor Chef is going to come and talk. It's like, I would just love to avoid this subject, to be really honest with you. If I want, I want, all of you, I want you all to like me, right? right? I really do. I'm a, I'm a people person. But because my priority isn't for you to like me, but for me to love you, then I've got to be honest with these truths. And so the consequence is for those who are guilty before God will not be with him forever, but will spend eternity separated from him in a place called hell. I said it. I said that word. It is a serious truth. And do you know, Jesus actually said more about hell than just about any other topic. Jesus, the one who we have those pictures in the Sunday school books of his carrying that white little fluffy lamb. Jesus, he wouldn't talk about hell. He actually does. It's quite confronting. In fact, 13% of his sayings are about hell and judgment. More than half of his parables relate to the eternal judgment of sinners. Do you know why he's been, he says that? Because he loves us. 
And he wants us to be confronted with the inconvenient truths so that we can prepare ourselves for eternity. It lasts a really long time. And so what Jesus says about hell, I can give you all these verses later on if you want, but I don't have the time now. Jesus describes hell as a place of punishment after judgment. Hell is described in the imagery of fire and darkness where people have great lament. Hell is described as a place of never-ending punishment. Elsewhere in the Bible, it describes it as the fiery furnace, the eternal fire of hell, outer darkness, the blackest darkness, torment, forever separated from God's presence. What hell isn't is the way that it's characterized or caricatured with cartoons, where there's the devil and his horns and and, and, and all the sinners are just all partying together, doing the worst sins with each other. Yeah, I'm with my friends. I'm not with heaven, but I'm my friends having fun. It's actually not true. Jesus describes hell, again, as real. It's terrible. It's eternal. There's no possibility of escape or reprieve. And so, no wonder C.S. Lewis made this quote. This is C.S. Lewis's observation of Christianity. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. It's like, whoa, that he was talking about that hell stuff. You can forget about it. Walk away, drop it, and never come back. If Christianity isn't true, then please forget about it. But, on the other hand, if it is true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is of moderate importance. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I believe in that. It is of infinite importance. And some people might go, whoa, whoa, hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Just stop there. Haven't you been talking about a God of love over the last few weeks that ever laughed? Like, you know, God is love and he is full of love and he's a father that has compassion on his children. He's got good plans for you. He's got a hope and a future. And all these things are so, so true. In fact, God has so much love for you that get this. God has so much love for you and I, so much love for humanity, that his love demands his justice. God's love for humanity demands he brings justice to humanity. Can you imagine a God that doesn't care about justice? See, God's love isn't like ours. God's love is pure. It's completely motivated by what's right and true. And because he loves so perfectly, he hates anything that would bring a rift in relationship between people. He hates the damage. His heart breaks at the damage that selfishness does. When you look around the world, and, and I won't go into a whole lot of detail, but you can imagine that it is, it's endless, the amount of ways that we are destructive to one another as humanity. You know the problem isn't the governments, the problem isn't ISIS, the problem isn't Julia Gillard back in the day or ScoMo or that crew, the left or the right. The, the problem isn't them. The problem is me and my brokenness and my sin and my selfishness and the 8 billion me's there are in the world that just get a bit selfish, that just get a bit, I don't care about you, at your expense, I'm going to preserve myself and therefore, we look around the world and we see the result of our own selfishness. But God loves the world so much, he hates the destructiveness that sin brings to people. If I think about, to, to go there, children right now that have been abused behind the scenes for profit, 
posted on the internet. And it's crazy the things that are out there. And God hates it so much. But so great is his love that his, he must bring justice to the world. I remember a few years ago, there was a girl called Jessie Kate. Um, she was a young girl from Mandra. And this just gripped my heart. She was, she was murdered. Um, she was from Mandra. A young girl in her prime was murdered. And I remember the time came for the trial and everything. And can you imagine the judge when it came to the verdict after all the evidence going, you know what, I know that you're guilty, but I'm a kind and loving judge, so uh, it's all good. We'll let you go free. You know, I'm so generous. You know, what kind of judge is this? This is an evil judge. If this judge had any love or care for Jessie Kay or her family, then justice will be bought. And this is the same truth with God. Because God loves us so much, He must bring justice because He cares and values every single life. And so now, I've created the black backdrop. It's pretty black, isn't it? We're all guilty. There's a place called hell. But now let me reveal the beauty, the awesome majesty of the star, of the constellation, of the brightness, of the good news of Jesus. You see, the truth is that God is not willing that any should perish. God is not willing that one single person should be lost for eternity. It says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord hasn't really been slow about His promise to return, as some people think. I mean, when Jesus departed, He said, I'll come back soon. And soon, 2,000 years later, it's not that soon, but, but Jesus... Isn't slow. He, will, he, he will come back. He will come one day to bring justice to the world. It's like I, I can imagine God, he's got this tension in his heart where he's like, I want to bring justice to the world. I can't handle more of this pain to see the injustices of the world. Yet, it says he's been patient for your sake because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to repent. He wants everyone to come to put their faith in Jesus to come to know him. Every single day the sun comes up is one more day that the world, that God gives the world. One more day to come to him. And so, so how does God do this then? How does, how does he both demonstrate his love, but also how does he demonstrate his justice at the same time? How does he... How does he bring justice to the world, yet not be an evil God who would just overlook the injustices of sin? And now it comes down to the cross, and it comes to Jesus. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, ties it all together. Actually, can someone please get an umbrella for me? I think there's some at the back there. I need it for a visual demonstration. Thanks, Gemma. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. I'm going to introduce an old school word for you. to you. Ready? Thanks, Gemma. So good. Appreciate it. Thanks. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Everyone say propitiation. Oh, yeah. Precipitation? Well, I got the umbrella. Propitiation for our sins. So what does propitiation mean? I'm going to read you the um, old school kind of American heritage dictionary definition. And propitiation is something that appeases or conciliates an offended power, especially a sacrificial offering to a God. 
Propitiate is the only English word that carries the idea of pacifying wrath by taking care of the penalty for the offense that caused the wrath. Propitiate is the only English word that carries the idea of pacifying the wrath by taking care of the penalty for the offense that caused the wrath. In other words, to put it really simply, um, Jesus took the bullet that was aimed for you and I. Jesus dove in front of us and he took the bullet that was aimed for you and I. Payment was made on our behalf that satisfied God who wants to bring justice through his propitiation. So what what does all this mean? Well, see the word wrath? That's another old school word, anger. We don't like to think of God as being an angry God, right? Because as humans, we think when we think of someone that's angry, we think of someone who's just out of control. I've lost my temper and I'm just, I have no control. I'm angry and I'm being driven by my emotion and in a reactionary kind of way. But when the Bible talks about God's anger or his wrath, it talks about his, it's not emotionally driven, but it's out of his love for people. His, his wrath or his anger is so calculated, so precise against sin, against the damage that it does. And from the beginning of time and to the end of time and now, the Bible talks about the wrath, an old school word, or the anger of God against the destructiveness of sin. For me, if something happened to my daughter, Leanna, I would be quite angry. I would probably be very emotionally angry, driven by emotion, out of control anger. But if, if I could restrain that and have and have an anger against destruction then this is the kind of anger that God is talking about and so what it means is that Jesus on that cross he took the full if you like anger or wrath the Bible talks about a cup of God's wrath a cup of his anger being poured out on Jesus at that point the Bible all throughout the Old Testament talks about wrath being like crushed grapes crushed grapes made into wine and God will pour out the cup of his wrath of his anger and so the Bible says that Jesus was crushed like these grapes for our iniquities Jesus was crushed so God poured out all of his anger his just punishment of Jesus on that cross in that very one moment you see if you remember the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was right before his death on the night of his crucifixion Jesus is in the garden and he's praying He's under so much stress that he's literally sweating drops of blood. He's saying, God, if you can. He said, he said, if you are willing, Father, would you take this cup from me? If you're willing, if there's another way, God, would you take this cup? See, Jesus wasn't so, although he's very concerned about the cross, crucifixion is a very, very painful thing for anyone to go through. It's excruciating. The, the lashings beforehand, the fact that Jesus had his, his hands pierced by nails and his feet were pierced by nails. He was on the cross, literally suffocating, dying of asphyxiation on, on the cross. But the most painful thing he went through was that moment where the wrath and the anger of God was poured out on Jesus. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin. He became the very definition of sin. Jesus who existed for eternity in the Father's presence, who came to earth, who lived a sinless, perfect, pure life, never did anything wrong in his life, fully pure in every way. In that moment, when Jesus poured out his just punishment on Jesus, he was was rejected by the Father 
and here Jesus said, Why, my God, have you forsaken me? In that moment, all of the just punishment from the beginning of time, all throughout history to the end of time was poured out on Jesus. And so if you could imagine Jesus representing this umbrella. You know, this umbrella protects us from precipitation. There we go. From the rain. And wherever you carry it, you're safe from the rain. And you know, Jesus is our umbrella. He's the one that took the full wrath of God. He's the one that took the full just punishment upon himself. So that anyone in the world who wants to step under this umbrella will be protected, will be saved from judgment, will be saved from punishment. Jesus is our umbrella, and his invitation is for every single person to come to him. This is an amazing act of God's mercy for us, where Jesus takes the full payment of our sin on our behalf. See, on that day of judgment, we have the choice. Either we can stand before God guilty, and we can take the just punishment that we deserve. And that is right. It's just, and it's fair. And we'll all pay for that forever. It's a, it's a debt we could never, ever pay on our own. Or, by faith, we could receive the unbelievably beautiful provision and gift given to us by a loving God, this free gift of salvation, where we can accept the gift that Jesus has given us, and that is full forgiveness for our sin. And that is so unfair. It's so, it's so not right. But it is right because Jesus was the only pure lamb of God, the sacrifice that was worthy to take away our sin. I love John 3, 16 to 18. If you read the whole context there, it says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, will not go to hell, but will receive eternal life. See, God sent his son into the world the first time not to judge the world. You know, God doesn't send Jesus to us here right now to judge us, to tell us off with his big wooden spoon. You're such a bad person. But God sends Jesus to you right now. Maybe you're watching this online. God sends Jesus to you right now through me, not to judge the world, not to judge you, not to condemn you, but to save you, to love you, to save the world through him. And it says, where there is, no, there is no, now no judgment against anyone who believes in him. There's no judgment left. All the payment has been done. There's no judgment for those that choose to put their faith in Jesus and come un- under what he has done on our behalf. There's literally no judgment. Do you know, God isn't actually angry at you. He's satisfied. He doesn't have a grudge against you. He literally doesn't. He's good. He's good. He's happy. You know, he's for you. He loves you so much. He's got no judgment. He's got no anger left. You know, the only only thing now that we're invited to do for God is either to, and we we get given this free choice. Will we pay for our own sin or will we, thank you, God, will we run to him for that forgiveness and for that covering? Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
you'll be saved. There's nothing in there that says you need to be a perfect person now. What it is, it's a, it's a change. It's a change, a shift of direction. And, and I want to read out a verse that gives a beautiful contrast to what we read about hell. See, this is God's heart. This is His intent for creation. Everyone is invited to this. Revelation 21 verse 4. This is what will happen for those that Jesus says, come, come with me forever. Those who put your faith in Jesus. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. I reckon there's been a lot of tears that's been cried in this season. I don't know how many tears you might have been crying recently. But it's been, it's been a tough time. It's been a tough year. Let's be real. It's been a tough life. He says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And this is good news for us. This is good news for you. And so tonight... I don't know, some of you might have heard about this for the first time. Maybe some of you have never been to church before or you just popped in online to watch. I know there's one person, I'm not going to embarrass them tonight, but one person's been watching online and they decided to come tonight for the first time. And I want to thank you so much for joining us here tonight. I don't know, I don't know whether you've been in church and you've ever heard this, but do you know what I want to do tonight is just to make sure, would you make sure tonight, would you just make sure tonight, tonight I draw the line in the sand and I'm, I'm coming under that umbrella. I'm coming under that umbrella. And I'm just putting my faith in what, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. And I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn. I'm going to turn from living myself and living my, and driving in my own direction. You know, I'm so glad that I did that U-turn that day and I went around in the opposite direction. I was going the wrong way for a long time. You know, tonight, many of us, might have been heading in the wrong direction, living for ourselves, thinking that the answer is in this life. But you realize tonight your GPS has located you and you're going, oh, I'm heading in the wrong direction. I'm going to do a U-turn tonight. What I'm going to do is I'm going to surrender my life to God. I'm going to say, God, my, my life is yours. I'm going to, I, I want my life to count in eternity with you tonight. And so we're going to give you the opportunity tonight to make that decision, maybe for the first time, maybe you've made it in the past, but there's something in you that's going, it was is inauthentic tonight. I want to say yes again to you, Jesus. And so I'm gonna what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna say a prayer. You know, it's not necessarily a prayer, like a little bit of magic potion that will save you, but it's your heart response, it's your heart surrender to God saying, Yes, Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you, I surrender my life into your hands. I'm not promising to be perfect, let me tell you you won't be. But that's why Jesus was perfect. He was, he's been perfect. And, you know, the end of that scripture, it says, Jesus, he who knew no sin, he who never tasted sin, became sin. He became the definition of sin that we in him might become the righteousness of God. In Jesus, we become righteous. It's like, me? But I know the stuff that I'm doing. It's like, yep, we become, the, we become righteous. We stand right before God. It's a gift given to us by faith. And we want to give you that opportunity tonight. So can we just be standing together? Maybe we could just all close our eyes just right now. And in a moment, I'm going to say a prayer with you. And so I know who I'm praying for tonight. What I'd love you to do is to, is to be bold and courageous. And in a moment, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand to say, count me in this prayer. 
would you count me in this prayer? That is me tonight. Tonight, I've been faced with this awkward, inconvenient truth, but wow, there's something in my heart going, yes, I want to say yes. You, you, you don't have to understand everything there is to know about it. You know, when you first meet someone, you don't have to understand everything about them to have a sense that they're trustworthy. But tonight, I believe the Holy Spirit is doing something in your heart in this moment. Those that are watching and listening online, I believe God is doing something. He's speaking to your heart. He's stirring up something in your heart. What that is, it's a call from God saying, come, would you come? Would you come to me? Would you come to Jesus? Would you step under that umbrella? Because I want you in eternity with me. And so if that's you right now and you want me to include you in this prayer, would you just, nice and high so I can see, would you just put up your hand nice and high so I can see it now? That is so good. Thank you so much. That is such a phenomenal, courageous decision. You can put your hand down. Your life will never, ever be the same again. I just want to give a few moments. We don't want to rush this moment. In eternity, it's a few moments that could change everything for you. If that's you tonight and you want to make sure, you want to say yes to Jesus, you want to come under that umbrella, you want to hide in Him, you want to surrender your life to Him, would you put up your hand nice and high so that I can see it? So good. Maybe someone online you're watching at the moment, we'd love you to raise your hand right now. God can see it. And I'd love to include you in this prayer as well. Hey, it is so worth it for that one person. I don't know if maybe someone else in this room, in your heart, you want to say yes to Jesus. You haven't raised your hand, that's okay. But for the one person that did, can we just give a big, massive round of applause to that one person? It's so good. Your eternity will be changed forever. Why don't we just say this prayer after me in your heart? And if you, on the inside, you're agreeing with me, come on, let's say this again afresh together. Dear God, I thank you that you love me enough to give me inconvenient truths. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross, to pay for my sin. I believe Jesus rose from the dead, victorious over death, victorious over sin. I surrender my life into your hands from this moment until that day I see you. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Fill me with your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's thank God together tonight. He's so good to us. Absolutely awesome. We're going to finish off with this song. Thank you so much, Mickey.